So it's rated E10 plus. Okay. For animated blood, fantasy violence, and suggestive themes. That's so funny. That's like, and not like thorough discussion of death. Hi, and welcome back to Quest Markers. On this show, we talk about video games and the stories they tell with a big focus on narrative. Welcome to part two of our one-year anniversary episode with Kinsey, where we are continuing the conversation on The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. Spoiler warning, as always, we will be spoiling the entirety of both Majora's Mask and Ocarina of Time. And once again, a special disclaimer for this episode, Majora's Mask is a dark game that explores deep themes surrounding what can be interpreted as grief, trauma, death, and existentialism. We are not mental health care professionals. We're simply here to talk about a video game that we love. So if this episode isn't for you, please take care of yourself and do what's best for you, even if it means not listening to this episode. We've got plenty of others that you're welcome to check out, but above all, please prioritize yourself. We are continuing the conversation from last time. So if you haven't checked out part one, please do start there. I'm gonna wrap this intro up and get right into it. Thank you again for being here, and let's continue the conversation on Majora's Mask with the inimitable Kinsey. There's there's so much in here, and and I wonder, you know, there's there's kind of the grief analysis. I wonder if there's kind of the the memories and the pain and the trauma analysis to this game as well. And I think if we do apply that, the way that Link overcomes his and the Skull Kid overcomes his, like their journeys are so different. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. No, I, I think I think that is also such a valid reading. I think actually like weeks ago I joked to you I could write about this game as a term paper for my degree. And yeah, I literally could. Genuinely. I really could. <laughs> yeah. And you know, the, the, these two as like case studies, part of my clinicalness, but of, you know, responses to isolation, growing up, um, and, and trauma. I mean, there's a lot there. And, and what's the difference between them? You know, we could talk about Majora's Mask as this analogy for, for power, for corruption, and what that does in different hands. We can also look at, at the end of the game, if you you know, if, if you give everyone happiness again, such that you collect all the masks, you get the fierce deity mask from this scared manifestation of a younger kid wearing the Majora's mask. And, you know, what does that mean? The kid who doesn't get to play with anybody is so grateful for Link sharing all of this, you know, and again, in the words of Happy Mask Salesman, this great happiness with him gives him this mask gives Link this mess that is rumored to be comparable with the evil power within the Majora's Mask, and how those two do get out in this final battle. You know, it could really be this this comparison of a systems of support in, in response to traumatic events and, and what that outcome looks like. Especially because if you have the Fierce Deity Mask, it, like, in my opinion, actually makes the final, bat lo- final battle lose a lot of his gumption because it's way too easy <laughs> for a Zelda oh, game. Oh, agreed, yeah. But metaphorically, that's interesting. Gameplay-wise, I, they should have nerfed it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm sure they didn't assume anybody on their first playthrough would get all the masks because 
it's hard. You have to do ca- Cafe and Andre's quest like three times in different ways, if I remember. But, you know, that's that's like a, a really compelling final outcome to this idea of, well, you know, was Link being able to, to reach out to people and have people reach out to him? And what was happening to the Skull Kid? And, and where did they end up in, in different different ways confronting one another, right? Oof. And I always, it's funny, after all these years... I still question the symbolism of the fierce deity's mask. And I think you've gotten me a little bit closer to understanding what that means. And to me, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, but to me, the, the fierce deity mask also represents anger but almost a productive anger in Mm -hmm. that, you know, anger doesn't always have to be seen as bad. Anger is an emotion of activity. It gets you up. It gets you moving. It gets you working out or going on a walk. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that it can be used very productively. We also see the Skull Kid use it in devastating, horrific ways. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's typically how we see anger being used. But I think it's also something that can give someone a feeling of focus and a feeling of action and a feeling of, you know, if if one is able to convert anger into something more productive, it can be used as something for good, such as overcoming hardship by channeling anger's momentum. But the, the fierce deity's description is really interesting. And I'm, I'm going to pull it up here because I don't want to butcher it. It says, you got the fierce deity's mask. Could this mask's dark powers be as bad as Majora's? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's so gray. Mm-hmm. It's so gray. And so you sit there, you're like, should I even put this thing on? What, what's going to happen if I put it on? Is this going to be irreversible for me? Will it consume me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's it going to do? I, I, yeah, I, I think the first year's mask is super interesting. Exactly. Because, you know, you, you see the entire game, you're kind of dealing with the consequences of this supposedly equal opposite, maybe not opposite, energy of this mask and, and all of the woes it's caused people. Um, and you receive something that is potentially just as horrible as a consequence for deeply caring about the people around you. Mm. And I I think a a more optimistic reading of that right could be again this idea of I have a lot of you know anger, I have a lot of hurt, I have a lot of pain in me and I can redirect that into ways that are healing and are acknowledging and validating everything that I have been through. And I'm also taking care of my future self. Right. And and what is that Mm. difference between I, I don't have these tools. I have been, I'm alone. I'm isolated. I'm scared. I have no language for this. I have no one to even listen if I did. And it's the same swelling of emotions. That's really unprocessed. And, and uncared for um so i think that that's an optimistic look of it right like hey you know it could come out these two ways but i think there's also the very other side of that which is that it it's very easy always it's always again that precipice of i require so much of my internal motivations and goodness and perspective to utilize this correctly and that is horribly Mm. subjective and Mm -hmm. and takes a lot of questioning about whether or not i should indulge this and lean into this like you said like should i even wear this is it going to be okay um 
And that's a question I love. Um, and I get why the game does not allow you to explore that further. But yeah, agreed. I, I, I've always been so fascinated by the first deity's mask and, and what it can mean. And I find it really interesting that you can't use it anywhere else but mm-hmm. the battle against Majora's Mask. Mm-hmm. And I think this game, I, d- I don't know if I want to say more than any other game because there's a there's a few games that I can really think of that just are so good at evoking emotion. Near Automata being another one. Of course, absolutely. <laughs> but, Top of the list. <laughs> Obviously. Understood by all. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> easy. Easy. Within the first 30 minutes, you're crying. But, <laughs> Truly. But I think Majora's Mask is so good at making you feel, whether it's through the main story or it's side, que- side quests. You know, mm-hmm. you feel the dread of seeing the moon above you or mm-hmm. of seeing the timer in front of you. You feel the horror of running out of that time. You feel the Woodfall King's ire and you feel Anju's pain of being separated from Cafe and you feel the defeat of not making an impact when you turn back time. Mm-hmm. Of seeing things go back to the way they were even though you helped all of these people. And I think that's the point of the game. It's not a game that relies, I mean, certainly every game relies on you kind of mastering mechanics, but way, way, way more more than that. I think it's a game that just tries to make you feel and Mm -hmm. make you face emotion through all of these people that you meet and through the, the existential dread that you feel throughout the entire game. And it does such a good job I think, at doing that because you're able to experience all of these emotions through the different community members that you meet in all of these areas. Mm-hmm. And I, I find that to be really striking and I think they did a fantastic job. And then again, I remember that this was developed in one year and I'm like, how? Yeah. How? <laughs> I, I w- would love to be a fly in the wall for that production process, truly. Oh, um, if yeah. there's one game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. But no, I mean, I just, I just think you're so right. I I think this game, and I was thinking about this recently about kind of the sanitization is a strong word, but it's the one I have right now of children's games in the past 20 years and not in a way that Mm. I think is like super bad and we shouldn't have done it. But, you know, I struggle to imagine this game coming out in 2023 um oh, in, in the way a it thousand is percent you know yeah and what's it rated is it rated e <laughs> it probably is and it probably shouldn't be um but you know it's fine we turned out fine <laughs> it's fine um yeah but you know yeah like this game is so hands-on with so many things that are hard for adults to grapple with but i i almost think that's mm. part of the beauty of why you said again like why people keep coming back to it and it's it's you know longevity is because I I think the game is set up really well to show death at whatever the age you are as a player in a way that makes mm. sense to you. Because you know when I was mm. a kid, I I I knew things were wrong, right? In, in the same way, like mm. oh, I have to help things, but I don't think I really understood like what happened to Romani if you don't stop the alien invasion. You know, that's horrifying. Like. We don't know what happens to her, and she doesn't know what happens to her, but she'll never be able to communicate it is how the game positions it. 
But as a kid, I just knew, oh, aliens, that was that was bad. That Something bad happened here, and I got to help her. I can't let that happen again. And uh, I think it's it's really well designed as a as a game in that way of you can understand the consequences without fully knowing the nuances. So when you come back to it, it builds on itself as opposed to feeling like, whoa, this is so different than what I remember. Because I remember the game being dark. It was just dark in the way that I understood darkness as a child. And then that's only grown. Mm, could not agree more. So it's rated E10+. plus. Okay. For animated blood, fantasy violence, and suggestive themes. <laughs> that's so funny. That's like, and not like thorough discussion of death. Like, that's so funny. Yeah. Um. No, it's, it's not even rated T. Yeah. Yeah, that, 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 that's a bit surprising, but I suppose, yeah, for, for the time, right? Like, 3D games were, were still very, very, very new. And I think it was just seen as an extension of Ocarina of Time, of this, like, big fantasy story. Mm-hmm. And to your point, I mean, I've certainly gotten a deeper understanding of the game when I replayed it as an adult, uh-huh. I want to replay it in a couple of years as well because I, I really think it's the gift that keeps on giving. Of mm-hmm. like, I'm sure I'm going to catch more things as I age and as I grow older mm-hmm. and as I have a deeper understanding of life to be able to go back and, and to really savor in what you first said, which is these like precious moments. Even if it's the most, you know, the, the smallest side quest that perhaps in the grand scheme of things, is not going to have, you know, a massive effect on whether the moon falls or not. Mm-hmm. And I think you gave the perfect one, the one where you get the bunny hood and you help the little um, the little chicks become cuckoos. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, such a, it's such a perfect example of a quest where, yeah, like there's not a huge consequence. I mean, I love the bunny hood. Don't get me wrong. But it's very useful. It is one of those quests. Yeah, it is one of those quests of yeah. I'm I'm gonna sit with you, and yeah, I'll I'll sit here and play some music. Mm-hmm. And it's so, you know, I, I don't really want to say inconsequential, but it's it's so small mm-hmm. compared to going and and saving the giants and having the giants hold the moon so that it doesn't fall. But despite it being this really small moment, I think that it is just as powerful Mm -hmm. in its storytelling and beautiful in its storytelling because you can look at that from the point of view of Link's sheer presence and just being there to listen was able to to help these animals grow up and and to give some peace to, I think he was a farmer. Mm -hmm. And I think you can also look at it through the lens of music is really healing. Absolutely. You know, the song of healing, to your point, is 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 like a core mechanic. And I think you had in your notes. Let me look at this. It's called the song of healing, not the song of evil magic removal, not the song <laughs> of be gone curse. The song of healing. And I laughed so hard. I love your notes so much. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I. It's true. You know, and and the early Zelda games, especially, were were all about music and and its power. And I think mm. this game just really really shows that off and and you know now that i'm thinking about it since when i said like it was kind of an inconsequential quest like i think that's why this game stayed with so many people because Mm. majora's masks lets you learn and care about the world so you want to save it you know Mm. oh that well that's good yeah I, i i it's really sitting with me like 
you know, when, when I played it when I was young and every time I've replayed it since, I've always had this, like, really honestly, like, specific timetable of what I do before I beat the game. Because, you know, every time you reset the, the, the world with the Song of Time, you know, every uh, area goes back to its original kind of corrupted state. So I would go, I would kill every single boss again to cure the land. I would try to do as many side quests as I can. I get rid of the aliens. I help the birds grow up. I set up Cafe and Anju to be reunited. I'm talking like literally every side quest you can jam in in three days. So that when I finally beat Majora, the world was in the best state it could be to then move mm. forward. And, you know, there's not like, in-game, there's no incentive to redo most of the side quests, right? Like, mm -hmm. there's normally some value in killing the main boss again of an area so that you can do the stuff you unlock there with more time. Like, I'm thinking of how to get the most upgraded sword. Like, it's a lot easier to do that if you skip ahead. But for most other things, like, you don't have to show the dancing girls your sick routine so they feel great about the carnival. Like, you don't ever have to do that again. But I wanted to. Because it mattered mm. to me that Clock Town was happy. And I I don't know of a lot of other games that would have me that invested in this completely imaginary post-game, you know? And I think that's why it's so special. Yeah. I'm I'm racking my brain to think about and you know, there are a few games where it's like absolutely I would I would want to redo the side content. Um but I'm not usually someone who does side content. Mm -hmm. I'm usually so engrossed in the main story that I'm like, I need to know the next thing that happens. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes if I'm really itching to revisit a particular word, world and environment, I go back to a game and do side quests. But Majora's Mask is one of those games where, to your point, I cared mm -hmm. because you get to bring some peace or some joy or some happiness or some ease or some relief to the characters. Mm -hmm. And I too was so invested in seeing the people get to the, the better outcome, whatever that was for that particular NPC. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so special because I, again, I don't normally do side quests, but I was so invested. It felt like it was necessary for me to do that before mm -hmm. I finished the game. Mind you, I was a kid when I played it. I actually had like the the paper book guide. Oh, for yeah. It. Oh, I know the one. Oh, can't play it without the paper guide. <laughs> Truly. Like, actually, it is kind of hard. <laughs> no, yeah. No, genuinely, genuinely. And and I still think about Anjou and Cafe's quest line which is massive mm -hmm. and I think about oh my goodness doing this without a guide and the serendipity and the oh you know this small thing happened therefore this happened therefore this happened therefore this happened like the mm -hmm. butterfly effect of things mm -hmm. is 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 really beautiful and I think encapsulates how powerful the the, the smallest actions that we do in our life and how much that can have an impact on other people. Absolutely. Whether it's, you know, like a friend remembering something small about you and texting that to you or like whatever that might be. I, I think the game is so good at portraying the fact that the smallest, smallest things can have such a, such a beautiful, 
deep, powerful, positive impact mm-hmm. on the people around us. Mm-hmm. And I just, oh, that to me is the heart and soul of this game. We can, we can do all these big things, right? Like helping Lulu get her eggs back and we can see, you know, the, the, the happiness that that restores. Sure. Or we can go into your point, teach the dancers that dance. And yet there was something within me that was like, I, but I want to go do that. Yeah. Even on, on a repeat playthrough. I'm like, I want to go do that. Even if I don't end up using the Fierce Deities mask at the end, I, I want to go do it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just, I, I wanted to see the people and I cared so much about seeing the people be happy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that truly is a good happiness. Like, yeah, it, yeah. it is like Majora's mask is proof that like people care about people, but like truly like I, it just evokes such, such a, you know, emotional reward. Sure. But even just a feeling of, I'm morally obligated to help these people and I want to on top of that. But I've I've seen what happens, right? Because you you can't get it right the first time. You see what happens. And sometimes it's small scale. And I, I feel like the fact that letting these people down, even though they don't know you are, the fact that sometimes it is also not a huge deal, but it still matters, makes me care about it even more. Because it's just such a, it's human expectations and it's human feelings mm. of disappointment and loss mm. and isolation. And, you know, you, you want to you do the right thing because it's right and because you know that you can. And if we're talking gameplay mechanics, you know, a, a lot of the rewards for these side quests are a mask that lets you get a piece of heart. So, you know, Luda narratively helping people gives you life, right? And it mm. makes you stronger against the evils that you have to then face on your own leader. And I think that's beautiful. And it makes your heart fuller. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Grinch's heart grew three mm. sizes that day. So did Lynx when he, you know, busted down at the milk club, whatever it's called. But like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I just think, you know, like the game has its own ways of showing you how it matters but i think the fact that so many people remember it outside of those contexts shows that it actually just has a much stronger implicit reward for wanting to do these things and and again that's you know why it matters to people yeah what one thing that you said you said you can't get it right the first time around Mm -hmm. and i know i promised i wouldn't make you late for dnd but no, 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 I, no. I might, I might be, I might be apologizing to your your D and D group because I just oh, there, there's a couple more things I want to talk about if that's okay. Yeah, no, let's do it. But you said you said you can't get it right the first time around. <sighs> Isn't that true? Yeah. In life, mm-hmm. you, you can't always get things right the first time around, and I think. You know, I, I won't go too deep into this, but I, I think in general, society places the expectation of perfectionism on people. And, and I, I think we are expected to um, get things right, get things right, get things mm-hmm. right. And I think, you know, the, the implicit expectation there is to, to be perfect all the time. And I think that that's a pressure that can weigh quite 
heavy. Mm -hmm. I, I just think that there's this expectation of just doing things right the first time around. And I think we need to allow ourselves more grace mm -hmm. for learning. But I love that you touched on, you can't always get things right the first time around because the game encourages you to get it right the second time around. Yeah. You know what? If you don't get it right the second time around, you have the opportunity to get it right the third time around. If you don't get it right the third time around, you get the opportunity to get it right the fourth time around. Mm -hmm. And in that way, I feel like the game gives the player so much grace to be like, you know what? It's okay. It's okay to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to have the grace to learn from them. Mm -hmm. But what's required for that is for you to lean in to the feeling of being humble and to say, yeah, like I didn't do this right yeah. the first time around. So I'm going to try again and I'm going to try to do it better the next time around. Mm -hmm. Oh, that I never, I never thought about it in that way until you said that. You might not always get it right the first time around. Mm, but you have the opportunity mm -hmm. to try again. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and, and I, ha I, you know, I hadn't even fully thought of it like that either, but that's, you know, if we're going to bring this idea back to this is Link processing grief, processing death, you know, processing his trauma, and that is so salient of an idea of mm. Link has to come to terms with, he, he, you know, he didn't get it right, and, but he can. He can next time. Mm. And that will impact people just as much as if he got it right the first time. You know, like there's no law of diminishing returns when it comes to mm. like love, <laughs> you know, and, and caring that matters. Uh, it matters now. It matters 10 times some. And, mm. you know, there's definitely kind of what we were talking also about, you know, agency versus being passive in this idea of, well, I'm going to try, you know, to get it right um, uh, many, many times and how that can almost veer into overthinking so much that you loop around to I'm overwhelmed I can't do anything mm. um, but the, the game is is so steadfast and that time continues but you can set it back but you can't stop it you have to adapt to it and you have to move with it but you can learn and you can do what you want to do and you can achieve what you're hoping to achieve but it is a mm. certain amount of Submitting to the world around you and also finding your place within it that is required to get anything done. Oof. Yes. Mm -hmm. And and going back to something that, that I wrote in our notes, I wrote, is Link a prisoner to the cycle that he's in? What is mm. the cycle? Is it a cycle of grief? But I also think that that can be applied to having the courage and the wherewithal to just try again yeah. within a feedback loop to just say, you know what, I've reflected on this. I maybe didn't do the best job that I could have. I'm going to do better next time. And I think that's so poignant and, and also goes back to what you were initially talking about way at the beginning of, of like the agency that we have in yeah. our lives. And Oh, and I, and I think that that relates to community so much of when we take agency, mm -hmm. it's typically with other people. It's typically to have shared experiences with other people. And yeah, sometimes we mess up, but we have the opportunity to try again and to apologize and to do better next time mm -hmm. as opposed to sitting in it and sitting in the grief and sitting in the heaviness of it. Oh, I love this game mm -hmm. so much. I do too. <laughs> what, what do you think is symbolic about the time loop? I, I, ju I just like, 
I want to I want to pull out the word that you also said, like a Legend of Zelda buzzword. You're you said that it takes courage to try again and to recognize your flaws and have humility, and that's Link's whole thing. Like literally, mm. divinely given to him courage, and if, if he is. If we're meant to think of Link as this piece that finally brings people something they were all missing, and it is his courage in the sense of listening, in the sense of getting it wrong and, and trying it again, because it matters to get it right eventually. And that's what helps so many people. You know, mm. I, I think that's such a lovely, different reading of, of The Legend of Zelda's kind of prototypical idea of the hero is courageous. And what that might look like in chivalrous stories, and and how courage can manifest in a lot of other ways that aren't slaying the monster, and how we bring that into our lives when our monsters are metaphorical. Yeah, you know how that even plays into um, this. Is, this is I'm I'm making a turn. I hope you come with me. Uh, but no, I, oh, <laughs> I'm I'm I am in the passenger seat. I brought the snacks. Like. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I'm I'm in this with you. <laughs> you are watching the GPS, and you know we're getting to where we need yes. to go. But I took a turn off, and you're gonna let me. Um, so yep, I'm re- I'm recalibrating Google Maps <laughs> to make sure that you get to D and D on time. As but I'm speak. here with you. <laughs> I'm doing my best. Um, but you know, Link uh, originally also conceptualized as this very androgynous character, um, and an mm-hmm. offering of time goes on this journey that follows maybe more masculine ideals of heroism and then the follow-up journey that he has to go on in Majora's Mask, I think you can make an argument of a lot more feminine ideas of heroism. And while a lot of it still carries on, and also I don't like the gender binary, but in this moment I'm, I'm looking at strengths, right, um, of within it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this idea of he has equal amounts of courage in... In, in things that we as society call feminine, as in terms of, you know, interpersonal relationships, listening, nurturing, caring, healing, a lot of these, like, really strong active verbs that are often dismissed as weak. Um, and how that is another equal important side of him being a paragon of courage. Um, mm. I think that's very compelling. I never thought about it in that way. I didn't but I either. always... <laughs> I have always, ever since I was a kid, I have always loved the fact that Link is such an androgynous character. Mm-hmm. And still to this guy, I think they've leaned into it way more now mm-hmm. with Breath of the Kingdom and Tears of the, um, Breath of the Kingdom and Tears of the Wild. <laughs> Tears of the Wild. Breath yeah. of the Wild and, and Tears of the Kingdom. <laughs> they've really leaned into it. And I love that so much. I never thought about looking at Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask in that way. It's such a a different way of bringing healing to communities in Ocarina yeah. of Time and as as compared to Majora's Mask. Mm-hmm. Oh, I never thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I'm on the detour with you. I'm I'm fully bought into the detour. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> we'll stop at a a Seven Eleven and get some snacks, and and we'll get back on the way soon. Perfect. But yeah, I that that Oof, just so it really good. struck me as. Uh, as just all the ways courage manifests and and what Link represents in so many different contexts. There you go. That's another chapter on my on my term paper slash book on Majora's Mask right there. I love it. <laughs> You'll be a co-author. I need this to be published. 
I don't even want co-author credits. I just, I really want you to write this paper now. <laughs> well, I'm going to give it to you anyway, whether you want it or not. Thank you. Um, That's very good. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Kinsey. I said I would get you to D&D <laughs> on time. So, so maybe, maybe to wrap us up, a couple of things. I, I want to go back to the first thing that you spoke about, which is despite the despair and the horror and the feeling of complete dread that you feel in this game, one of the main themes is that life is so precious and that there's mm-hmm. joy in the smallest moments. And that's what I love about this game. And I think throughout our conversation, I have I can now confidently say that Majora's Mask is my favorite Zelda. I think me too. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much, so much in it. And again, I'm just completely shocked that this was developed in one year. Mm-hmm. But also what a beautiful example of what excellent constraints yeah. and excellent expectations can do. And, you know, when you and I put our production hats, that's like the first thing that we set up is mm-hmm. the boundaries. But yeah, what a what a beautiful, beautiful way to think about the game, that life is precious. Mm-hmm. Do you have any final thoughts? I think oh, f- final thoughts is that this game is just, it just feels so embodied. And there's so much we didn't even get to talking mm. about, like, oh, yeah. the nature of the world, this idea of Link having to physically transform himself and have a different body, and, and all these ideas. But it's just because it, it feels like no choice in this game was made because of convention. It, it, they were all individually and intentionally selected, and everything is cohesive because of that. You know, Zelda as a as a series, that's the word, um, you know, in a lot of ways has been convention setting for the industry. And I, th- I think this game is just s- so strong on its own because it, it feels like, you know, we're, we're out here like, oh, these huge theories, what if Link's dead? But like the fact that that is actually possible and like and has so much in the game I think is a testament to how much was put into this game and you don't even have to engage with all of it like that, but the the way that everything is, dare I say alive and in communication with one another mm. and has this engine of like reciprocity of how Termina breathes around what you do is, is incredible and, and hard to replicate. I, I don't think truly a lot of games have since. And maybe, again, to the credit, it's because they had one year and they set out to do it and they couldn't question themselves. And that and that brought us to this. Who knows? But Beautifully said. Oh, it's, it's a game I, I think I'll always be coming back to. Yeah. Agreed. We might just have to continue this. Like, we might <laughs> just have to have another Majora's Mask episode at some point down Re- the line. Reply or leave a comment if you want Kinsey to come back for Majora's <laughs> Mask Part 2. Kinsey, you, you, you know that you're welcome to come back at any point in time. You just, just give me a call or send me a message. You can come back anytime. Just be like, hey, I want to talk about this game. I will play it in a heartbeat so that we can talk about it. Okay. Including, I will gladly, gladly sit and talk about Majora's Mask with you again. Um, <laughs> I, tr- I truly mean that. That offer is always open. But 
To wrap us up, as always, you have time to plug anything that you'd like. Last time you made just the most beautiful request, which was to support teachers and support educators. And I think I think about that pretty often, actually, the fact that you said that, because I thought it was really beautiful. Um, but the floor is is yours, whatever you'd like to talk about, my friend. Oh, I love that. Uh, shout out to past me. Now, now I'm like, how do I, how do I top that? But yeah, um, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't, <laughs> that's so funny. I don't know if I need to top it. Uh, what I, what I will say, um, and I guess something newer that I've gotten really excited about that I'll, I'll share with you all um, is to really truly look into what sort of um, community gardens might be around you mm. or or look into starting one of your own by talking to whatever your like most local form of government is um there's like a lot of really exciting research about how involvement with gardening um in a, in a space close to your home is good for your your health physically mentally is good for everyone's development literally like good for the air um and also is just like fun and I think really valuable to know how food and or any kind of plant works and how to nurture life while it nurtures you back. So I'll give that to you. Um, if you are feeling inspired about helping your community, uh, community garden is a really great way to get started. Um, and like it's free. So I hope that's a pretty low barrier of entry for a lot of folks. Mm, beautiful. Beautifully said. Thanks, Marina. Oh, Kinsey, thank you so much. Thank you. My my heart is full after having this conversation. <laughs> Mine too. I, d- so I got full. a piece of heart, if not a full heart container from, from oh, this. I got a full heart container from <laughs> this, maybe two. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Thank you so, so much for your time and for sharing your thoughts on this game. And thanks so much for driving. Oh, it was uh, it was a pleasure <laughs> to have this driving steering wheel, whatever it's called, in front of me, um, and just being able to comment on the beautiful things that we drove past together. Uh, I love being on the show, so thank you for having me. Please come back anytime. <laughs> anytime. Okay. Ah, thank you, Kinsey. Thanks. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much for being here and for listening. Whether you've been with us from the beginning or you're a new listener, thank you for celebrating Questmarker's one year anniversary with us. Let us know what you thought about a two-part episode. Do you prefer a single longer one? Do you prefer multiple shorter ones on the same game? Let us know. Socials, as always, will be in the description. If you're not subscribed or following along, feel free if you want to check out future episodes. Thanks again and see you next time. Take care.